Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. We've got two disciplines left to cover, two practices that we're going to highlight. And uh, one of those, what we're talking about today, is giving as a spiritual discipline. Now, you may not, your mind might not automatically go to giving uh, when we talk about uh, spiritual disciplines, but I think it's an important aspect of us growing in relationship with God. And so I want to be transparent with you. There was a lengthy amount of time as a pastor where I was extremely uncomfortable talking about money in any kind of context. Uh, I say that because I'm aware of people's genuine, genuine, man, I have just been butchering words all day. This is not new for me. I do it every week, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm aware of people's general perception of the church, especially when it comes to money. It, it gets weird fast for a lot of people. And I want you to know if you're on the edge of your seat this morning and you're like, oh no, pastor's talking about money, this is going to get weird, uh, you're in good company. <laughs> uh, you're not alone here because uh, sometimes talking about money makes us uncomfortable. And I guess I always had this idea in my mind that uh, if I were to preach on the topic of money, or if I was going to teach about giving or something, that somehow my intentions or my words were going to be misconstrued, and I was going to get lumped into all those TBN preachers that have their own private jets and whatnot, and it was just going to be disastrous. And the Lord really convicted me about this, and understanding that if I don't teach them about money, if I don't teach them about godly stewardship, who is? The guys on TBN <laughs> that, uh, you know, that are, are uh, charlatans and actually are after your money. And so um, we're going to have an honest conversation about giving this morning. And I want to be clear, it's not going to be exhaustive. As I was preparing the sermon, I had outlined, I even gave it to my wife of all the things that I wanted to talk about. And she's like, so is this like a series? And I was like, no, I was going to put it all in one sermon. And she realized uh, far quicker than I could that it was a lot of content to cover very quickly. And so if there's questions you have about giving, if there's questions you have about tithing or offering or, or these terms, and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now, um, please, I'm an open book, and I'd love to have these conversations. And I do believe this will be a teaching series that we revisit that I'm excited to as I've kind of uh, written these down. But today we're, we're going to just kind of focus in on the topic of giving in general, and especially in the context of the local church. And uh, I've shared my story before with you guys. I've shared my testimony of how I was involved in the occult, and a guy that was dealing drugs to my mom uh, paved the way for me to encounter Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a pretty dynamic story of how I came to faith in Christ, but uh, I don't always share uh, a part of how I wound up involved in the occult and how I really turned my back on the church and how much uh, there's, there was this kind of developmented, developmented, whoa, words. I developed a hatred for God. I developed a hatred for the church and it revolved around one kind of catalytic moment. 
I was eight or nine years old, and my parents were battling drug addiction, and we wound up going to the church that we kind of casually attended because my parents were desperate for help. They wanted to meet with a pastor, they wanted prayer, and they, they knew that something needed to change. And so we came to this church, and it was on a weekday. I remember sitting in the office, sitting in the lobby, and my parents kind of went back into the pastor's office. Now, the senior pastor wasn't available, so they met with a staff pastor. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of can understand that. But they, they met with a pastor, and they spent about 30, maybe 40 minutes uh, in that back room uh, praying together and asking for help. And then when my parents walked out of the room and came back to pick me up in the church lobby, uh, the secretary uh, printed off an invoice and handed it to my parents uh, for their time of counseling, if you will. And it, it left such a sour taste in my mouth that we, you know, we never went back to church there. We never, that, that was in my parents. But I remember just as a child, as an eight or nine-year-old kid, just recognizing that the monetation of the gospel was a tragic thing. And I let it serve as fuel for my distaste and my disdain towards religion and towards God and towards Jesus in general. And it was kind of one of those crux moments that as I was developing my personality and kind of developing uh, as a teenager and I was going down this road into the occult, I could always go back on that one kind of encounter that I had with this one particular church and say, you know what? Churches are lame. <laughs> All they care about is money. And you may have a similar story. You may have maybe some kind of experience in the background of your mind where your, your encounter with the church has just kind of been labeled by this mentality of all they care about is me and my money, or they care about uh, my pocketbook. And I would like to say uh, that, I, uh, that we don't care about your money. I would like to say here at Open Door Church, we don't care about your finances, and we care about you. We don't care about you giving, uh, but the reality is that's not a true statement. Because I do very much care about your money, I do very much care about what you do with your finances and how you spend what God has given you, not because I'm interested in amassing wealth for Open Door Church, not because I'm interested in making sure, you know, we're just sitting on piles of cash and I can get my private jet and I have a really sweet vacation fund or something like that. I care about what you do with your finances and I care about your money because Jesus cares about what you do with your money. And I think it's important for us to have these honest conversations uh, about giving, about generosity, about giving to the work of God um, from a biblical standpoint and a scriptural standpoint. Because it, if we're being honest, you can turn on the TV at any given moment to some kind of televangelist network, and there are guys out there that are manipulating the scriptures in order to make a profit. They're profits for profit, right? <laughs> And it's important for us to be grounded. It's important for us to be in the scriptures, especially as we're talking about spiritual disciplines and understanding how giving, uh, how giving affects our relationship with God and how he uses it to grow us as individuals. Um, does that make sense? And so I got off of my notes over here. And so... I do want to talk about this. It's almost alarming how much Jesus talks about money in the scriptures. Uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but it's kind of a recurring theme for him. He talks about money a lot. 
He talks about giving. He talks about generosity a lot. He uses it in his parables. In fact, the majority of his parables, okay, majority is not um, in comparison. Uh, 11 out of the 40 parables, Jesus uses uh, money as kind of an example. And so uh, majority was the wrong word there to use, but uh, he uses it frequently and he uses it a lot. And so he actually discussed the topic of money more often than he talked about faith or prayer combined. That's, that's kind of crazy to think about. Jesus was interested in what we do with our money. And see, if I fail to teach on giving and the real blessing that is associated with it, uh, I was convicted by the Lord that I'm actually robbing you from the opportunity to bless and be blessed by God. And so it's important that we talk about these things. And so you may have valid reasoning for not wanting to give or to give to the church, but even our valid excuses lose the validity in light of the scripture's teaching on giving, in light of Jesus's, Jesus's instruction on generosity. And so today we're going to begin to explore uh, this discipline of giving. And so I want to talk about why and how we give. And so initially as I kind of structured this out, I wanted to talk about the motivation. I wanted to talk about the why and the how of giving. And then I want to talk about, uh, go into depth about, well, who do we give to? Why do we give to the local church? Why do we give to different organizations? Why do we support missionaries? And all of these different things. And I wanted to break it down. And I realized very quickly, that's an entire message in and of itself. And then I wanted to talk about the tithe. And I wanted to talk about like the biblical principle of the tithe and whether or not it's still relevant for us today and, and break that down as, a, as an interesting point. And I, I realized, friends, that that's, just a, that's a lot to fit into one sermon. And so if I don't answer your questions, I know I've said it once, um, We'll get to it eventually. But today I really want to hone in and I really want to focus in on the, on the motivation for our giving, the why and the how. And I think it would be easy for me to just tell you, uh, you know, we give because Jesus expects us to give. In fact, when we read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when we were talking about these earlier spiritual disciplines such as prayer and such as fasting, uh, we, we understand that it was implied that we would be giving, that we'd be, it was implied that we'd be fasting, that we'd be praying because he'd say, when you pray, do this. And he'd say, when you fast, do this. In the same, in the same chunk of scripture, he says, when you give, do this. It's highlighted by our savior in the Sermon on the Mount. But just like these other disciplines, like praying and fasting, I need you to, I need you to track with me here. We do these for our benefit, not God's. God doesn't need us to pray, <laughs> right? We understand that something transforms and happens to us when we pray. And he loves to use our prayer and he loves to move at the sound of our voice, but he doesn't need us to pray. He loves it when we do it. In the same way, he doesn't need us to fast. Primarily, fasting exists for our benefit, right? And so we see these things, these spiritual disciplines that we practice. It's not necessarily that we practice them because God needs them. We practice them because there's something beneficial 
in them for ourselves, that God wants to teach us and instruct us and bring us closer to him by the process of. That's what we've been talking about in spiritual disciplines. And so with that in mind, uh, God doesn't need us to give, right? God's not broke. God doesn't, God isn't up there like, oh man, I can't move in Sally's life because you know, I'm $30 short in my bank account or something like that. God doesn't need our resources, but he does invite us into partnership with him through generosity and through giving. And so I, I, I wrote this. He invites us to partner with, it, with him by giving. In the same way, God doesn't need us to give, but he asks us to. So we're left with this question. Why does God want your money if God doesn't need your money? To think about that. I think it's important to answer this question biblically because why you give will inform how you give. I want us to think about that. I want that to kind of sit in the back of our mind. I believe that motivation matters when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving and why we give to the church. I'm going to read what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9. Um, I would encourage you guys. We don't have time to, to delve uh, super deep into all of the scriptures that I could kind of bring up on a Sunday morning. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 deal pretty explicitly with the topic of giving. And I would encourage you to read them for yourselves, to, to delve into what the scriptures say. But I'm going to take uh, verse 7 here. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This verse is fascinating to me for a number of reasons, but I want you to think about this this idea that God loves a cheerful giver. You see, most charities don't care whether you're cheerful or not when you give, do they? They want your donation. They want your money. You know, when the, when the police department calls you up and asks if you'll do their pledge drive so you can get a little sticker on the back of your truck, uh, you know, they're not concerned about your motivation. They're concerned about whether or not you're going to donate, right? When political candidates campaign for your resources, they don't care about your heart when you give. They care about how many zeros are at the end of that donation check, right? In fact, I was reading this fascinating Maybe I shouldn't go down that road, but I was reading this fascinating thing on the news last night from Nancy Pelosi about how she is still running uh, for office in the political sphere because of her age. I think she's like 83. She's still running because she knows her, her name will bring in big buck donations to the Democratic Party. It's just one of those interesting things. They're not concerned about your heart when you give. They're concerned about your pocketbook. They're concerned about your resources. But God isn't about that. He could care less what you give. He cares about your heart behind the gift. And he loves a cheerful giver. And so this also means he has different affections other than love for those who give reluctantly or under other pretenses. And so just because you give does not equate to you being good with God. Did you know you can actually give a sizable gift and it still be an affront to God's character? 
So some people kind of fall into this mindset, well, I'm going to give to God and I'm going to try to attempt to make up for the fact that I don't actually have real authentic relationship with him. But you know what? I'm going to make sure I, I, I give really well to the church. I'm going to give really well to missions. And it's somehow trying to make up for the fact that they're lacking in their relationship. And so, um, or if you're giving out of reluctance, if you're giving out of obligation merely, if you're just giving to give because you know like, oh man, you know what, that preacher kind of preached that message on Sunday morning about giving, I really need to up my game, but I really don't want to. God doesn't love that kind of giving. He wants your heart to be in it. Does that make sense? Okay. And so... I wrote this, that God isn't interested in your pocketbook. He's primarily concerned about your heart. And he knows that those two things are often more connected than we like to admit. It's what Jesus would continue to talk about in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, now this statement from Jesus where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, uh, this is unique in that it's a statement that is both a test for your heart and also a remedy to how to fix your heart. Does that make sense? It's a good measure by which to judge the condition of your heart, but it's also a solution for fixing what's wrong with misaligned priorities. You see, it's impossible for Jesus to have your whole heart and not your wallet. That's a, that's, a, that's a crazy, that may seem like a bold statement. And if this is irritating you this morning, then let the Holy Spirit do a work that's not Nate Ward. <laughs> but I do believe that it is impossible to be fully surrendered to God and say, God, you can have all of me, just not my money. But a fully surrendered life is going to look like one that is, uh, that is laid bare where God can have anything, anytime he wants. And that's our ultimate desire. That's what we want to be as mature Christians, that we would stand before the Lord with all of us. God, you can have all of me, not just parts of me, not just pieces of me, not just 10% of me. He wants all of you. And I think that that is something that we often miss. You know, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about God loving a cheerful giver, and he has a different mindset in place uh, for those that give reluctantly or out of compulsion or without a proper motivation. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm reminded of the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, right? I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story, but... Um, what was happening at the start of the early church where people were selling all of their possessions. They were selling plots of land and they were selling everything in order to come and bring uh, extraordinary gifts to the early church for the proclamation of the gospel to go forth. And I mean, it was extravagant generosity. But notice this, it was not something that God required from anybody. It wasn't some kind of decree that God said, hey, you need to go sell everything you have in the same way I would never tell you, you need to go sell everything you have and bring it here to the church so we can do the work of the Lord. This was something that was prompted by the Holy Spirit 
and uh, something that was, that was good and genuine and God blessed. But there were these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, that decided that, you know what, they kind of liked that attention. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be recognized in the same way. So they went and sold a piece of land and they came and made a big show of it and display and uh, gave the money to the disciples. And, you know, it was a generous amount. I mean, it, it was a big deal, right? And, uh, you know, they asked, like, was this all the money that you sold the property for? And they said yes. And uh, the Holy Spirit uh, was, was very evident that that wasn't as much money as they had sold it for. And they dropped down dead, both Ananias and Sapphira. It's a, it's a very interesting story. It's New Covenant, uh, dispensation of grace, kind of uh, really wild. You mess with your theology kind of stuff. When you think about it, God is like killing people <laughs> because they're lying to the Holy Spirit about how much money they gave. It's really wild. I'm, I'm not trying to hear like preach doom and gloom on you. Uh, it's like, is that really your tithe? Did you really only make $16,000 this year? Hmm. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that. But uh, I say that because their motivation was misaligned, right? They were seeking accolades. They were seeking some kind of, uh, they were seeking some kind of attention that wasn't appropriate, and this is, what I, this is what I have to say about that. God wants a cheerful giver, and he wants your motivation to be in check. He wants the reason for your generosity to be because you're connected to his heart and what he's doing, not just simply to, to do something for the sake of doing it, Amen. or certainly to receive some kind of accolade for doing it. Does that make sense? Yep. So I'm just saying all that. You can give a good gift, and it still be wrongly motivated. Ananias and Sapphira gave a substantial amount and God wouldn't have judged or punished them for it if they, hey, keep some of the money back for you. You know, it'd be good. It was the pretense that they were trying to give all when they were only giving some. And this is one of the things that I think we need to be careful of is when we tell God, you can have all of me, but we really hold something back. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were saying, hey, this is everything, but they were really withholding for themselves. But Jesus understands that there's this kind of interesting connection between our passions and our heart and where and how we spend our money, right? That's why he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I think I need to be clear here. It's not that money is intrinsically evil. We understand that, right? First uh, Timothy, I think it is, would talk about the love of money, not just money in general. That is the root of evil. Having a lot of money is not sinful, friends. You can be very blessed financially. And I know plenty of people that are very, very blessed financially that are doing a lot for the kingdom of God and they fear God and they love God with their whole heart and they're some of the most generous godly people I know. Money becomes a problem when you don't have money, but when money has you. Does that make sense? And there's so many people in our society, there's so many people in our culture where money has such a tight hold on them that, uh, that it's a disastrous thing. That's when we see sin, uh, having money being sinful. Does that make sense? Don't let your money have you. Have lots of money. Go for it. Make a lot of money. But do so in such a way that God can be honored with your money, not in a way that it is difficult for you to love God. Okay? Cool. We'll talk about more of that later. 
And so we read Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But he goes on just a few verses later in verse 24, saying that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. And he says that you cannot serve God and money. It's an impossibility. Those are straight from the words of Jesus. And there are so many people that I know that are still kind of trying to forget that Jesus ever said that. And they're pursuing the almighty dollar and they're trying to give God the leftovers. And I'm not talking about money here in this sense, but they're, they're pursuing their careers or they're trying to advance and work, but yet their time with the Lord and their spiritual life suffer as a result because they've got to rise to the top. Something that we need to be on guard with. Anybody here like into stocks, into the stock market? Anybody at all? Okay, nobody, I guess. There's some, I knew Blake would be. He writes a blog. You guys should read it. He's way smarter than me. And <laughs> uh, I've tried to do the stock thing. Like I bought stocks a while back in some company that doesn't exist anymore because that's, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but they make these apps on your phone now that are like, you want to invest in the stock market? Sign up and we'll give you free stocks. The, the most stock I ever owned was in GameStop. And I had won, like, some kind of free GameStop stock uh, a number of years ago. I mean, this was probably five or six years ago. And then overnight, it blew up. But what I don't tell you about that story is that I sold my GameStop stock that I had. I had, like, five or six dollars in GameStop stock. And I was like, oh, I should probably get rid of it now. And then the next day, it was worth, like, $300. It was a couple weeks later, but... This is how bad I am with the stock market. So please, please don't take my analogy on the stock market as if you should come to me for financial advice in that sector. I will divert you to somebody that is way smarter than me. But we're going to pretend for a second. Is that okay? Um, let's pretend like you bought stock in something that is actually valuable. And let's pretend like maybe you did it a couple years ago. Let's say like Apple, right? I, I think they're pretty valuable stock market-wise, right? That's still relevant, right? They're still making lots of money. Um, I know that they, the iPhones are still a thing, so I'm guessing they still have a lot of money. But let's say you owned uh, a sizable portion of the Apple stock. Uh, you're invested in Apple at that point, right? So you probably care about the products that they make. You probably care about their reputation and their persona. You probably uh, uh, care about the products that they're coming out with or if they're doing a new event. I think they're about to come out with a new iPhone, so there's going to be a big event or something like that. You'd probably be interested in what was going on as a company because as a stockholder, you are actually invested and own a part of that company. I think that's my understanding of how that works, somewhat, right? Okay, somebody's like in the back, like, no, you have no idea how the stock market works, and so your illustration's invalid. But you'd be invested. When they make money, you make money, right? In, in a certain sense. And so um, I, I want to use that to kind of draw this parallel. How much more connected and invested ought we feel when it comes to the eternal things of the kingdom of God, when we have our heart and our treasure in the same place, being in the kingdom of God, we're more interested in what God is doing. We're more interested and passionate and invested in what he's doing with his mission on the earth when we're actually financially invested with what he's doing. 
I believe that there, it's just a, a, a practical, um, a practical kind of. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to trying to think of here? Something. Anyway, I have notes that I should probably just read, but. I wrote this, how much more connected and invested ought we to feel when it comes to eternal things? The God of the universe has invited us to be partners and invest into his work that we might share with him. And so I'm reminded of a a quote. I feel like I quote my friend Neil a lot. If you guys don't know Neil and Molly, he is awesome. I think I quoted him last week, Um, but he's one of those guys that just always has these things to say about the kingdom and about Jesus that just impact me powerfully, but uh, I think it was probably five or six years ago that he told me this. He said, if we knew the ROI, and he was talking about the return on investment of the kingdom, he said that uh, if we knew the ROI of heaven, we would have given it all. And I'm not just talking about finances here. I'm talking about if we really knew what kind of return on our investment in this life we would have in the next I don't think there would be anything that we would withhold from God, especially something as silly as money. You see, our money and our passions are uniquely connected. And so these are some questions I want to ask. I want you to think about them. Do we give enough of our money towards God and his work that it draws our heart towards heaven? Does your giving feel more like a compulsory check-the-box routine that doesn't really shape what you care about? Is it more of a I-know-I-should-so-I-do kind of thing? Or is it something that you're passionate about when the offering plate gets passed? I'm not asking this. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I want us to really wrestle with these questions because I want to check our motivation. And I, I said this once before that there are plenty of people that give a lot to the Lord. They give a lot to the church. They give a lot to missions. But it's simply trying to mask the fact that they're not actually passionate and connected to the Lord. It's more of a check-the-box kind of mentality. I'm not interested in that kind of giving, friends. That would be one where I will happily say, please keep your money. Because God can do more with less, with a heart that is passionate about what they're giving to, than with all the money in the world. God isn't in need of your money, but he is in need of your heart. And God loves a cheerful giver. (sighs) Giving helps guard our hearts, guys. And it frees us from the societal bondage of a materialistic culture. I think if there's one thing that we all know to be true about this life and especially about the culture that we live, especially in the West, is that we love our stuff, right? I like my stuff. I have nice stuff. I don't think having nice stuff is like the same, like is the equivalent of like you're a heathen or things like that. I, I love my Jeep. I love my snowmobile. I like these fun things that I believe that God has made room and provision to bless me with. But I do believe that too much stuff can become a problem. I do believe that uh, there is a, a certain... Uh, there's a certain mentality and there's a certain sense of greed that exists within our culture that needs to be combated. And I believe one of the best ways for us to 
attack it head on is by developing a lifestyle of generosity and consistently giving towards what the Lord is doing. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's important, friends, that we don't love our stuff more than we love what God has called us to accomplish. And this is one of the, this is one rule that I have kind of held on to and, you know, my wife and I have talked about. Is there anything in my life, is there anything in my heart, whether it be monetary, whether it be a a position, whatever it might be, that the Lord is off limits to? Because when there's something I begin to recognize, like, God, man, you can call me anywhere. You can tell me to do anything. You can ask anything of me. But I place exceptions. Like, I have a little asterisk, and there's, like, a list of things that he can't ask for and things that he can't have. That's when I know that there's something wrong with my heart, and God needs to deal with me. Uh, I say this, you know, I've had vehicles that I've loved and I have to be careful now because I, I told somebody last time that I had this Jeep that was like, it was my dream Jeep. And I was like, yes. And you're thinking like, Nate, you're silly. You have a different Jeep every week. <laughs> this, it's true. But <laughs> uh, I, had this, I had this vehicle that I had built up and it was perfect. And then all of a sudden, you know, life started thinking. And I I look back and I'm like, man, I should have never sold that thing. That was a bad decision. But I have to remind myself that I remember the Lord asking me if I would do it. And I I think that's important, friends. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, yeah, Pastor Nate, oh, my gosh, he sold a Jeep. He sold generous or something like that. (laughs) It's important, friends, that there isn't anything that we hold too dearly um, that we're not willing to give up. Does that make sense? And I'm using that as a poor example. Um, I sold it. I sold it for a profit. It's not a, not a thing, but I, I do believe that it's important that we don't hold on to things too tightly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Love for stuff is bad. <laughs> and a way to combat that is to practice generosity. And so every time we give to God's purposes... Every time we give to the Lord's work, we're declaring God to be better than whatever else you would have done with that money. And it's a way of worship. And man, I want to talk about giving as worship sometime. There's so much into that that I (laughs) I want to unpack and talk about, but I have notes and I should probably stick to them. And so while we're talking about motivation, while we're talking about having a right heart before the Lord... I want to talk a little bit about improper motivation. I'm not going to take too much time on this, but I I do believe that there are improper motivations for giving generously to the Lord. And I think it comes from a place of using scripture out of context um, because I, I, I want to be transparent. I do believe that there is a blessing that follows generosity. I do believe that there are biblical principles of sowing and reaping. I do believe that scripture talks about this. I have a problem with it, though, when it turns into a prosperity gospel where that you give to God to get. I want want you to understand this. We do not give to the gospel. We do not give to the Lord. We do not give to the work of advancing the kingdom of the gospel in order to see some sort of return. I do believe there are biblical promises. I do believe that God does show favor and blessing. But when our motivation is to get so we give, it's completely flawed. And there's a whole realm of TV evangelists and prosperity teaching that existed, that has kind of, that has exists, that has kind of emerged, where that if you give so much, so God's going to bless you this much. 
and he's going to give you a new car and he's going to bless your bank account and all these different things. And that's simply not the way that it works. I have seen God's hand of provision. I've seen his faithfulness and I have seen him bless my socks off and other people's when they're faithful with finances. Um, and I, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. We could share testimony after testimony after testimony of that. But the motivation cannot look like we're giving to get from God. And so when we talk about blessing, when we talk about favor, when we talk about these things, um, I want us just to be careful that we don't have a wrong mindset as we're talking about generosity. Does that make sense? Can you track with me there for a moment? And so uh, I want to read 1 Corinthians 16. And there's a lot of different passages that we could have looked at when we were talking about giving, but I'm trying to focus in on just one. And this is primarily talking in the context of why do we give to the local church? There's other aspects of generosity. There's other aspects of giving where we give to the poor, where we give to those in need, where we give to missions, where, where we, we give uh, outside of this fellowship as well that I believe are just as important in the life of the Christian and just as important in developing and cultivating a life of generosity. But for the sake of this morning, we're kind of focusing in on why do we give to the work of the gospel in the context of the local church. And it comes from the scriptures. I'm going to read what Paul wrote here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He says, Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is a very kind of brief part of one of Paul's epistles where he's teaching and giving instruction on how to take the offering at church. Why do we pass the plates? Why do we give you an opportunity to give? Why do we have a box on the back wall? Why do we encourage, uh, why do we encourage uh, you know, offering in this, this part of our service? It's because the early church did it. And there's plenty of biblical example that, they, uh, that exists that they met on the first day of the week, uh, which we could talk about um, a lot. Um, but here, in, in my first point here is that giving is to be a regularly practiced occurrence. And if you want to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus, I believe that you should be practicing consistent, regular giving uh, to the local church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... When he was writing here, he says on the first day of every week, he's talking about a consistent gathering. Paul begins his instructions about giving by noting that the Corinthian believers ought to give when they are gathered together on the first day of the week. And I want to be very, very clear. I believe it needs to be something regular. It needs to be something that's practiced consistently. You know, Kelly and I give on a monthly basis because she gets paid monthly and I get paid bi-weekly. And so it was easy for us to figure out a way to give on a monthly basis that was consistent and proportionate with our income. Uh, there's awesome, easy ways for you guys to set up giving that way. Uh, we like to give just out of our bank account. So it automatically comes out. Um, you might like to give weekly. You might love to put it in the plate. You might love to put it in the back wall. Um, however you might want to do it, I just want to encourage you that it is something that should be regularly practiced and implemented, not just on special occasions, not just when you feel like it, but that you as an individual should set up a discipline of giving um, to the place where you're fed. 
And so I think it's also important to, to kind of make note here. You know, uh, I believe it's Galatians chapter 6 that talks about, um, about sowing generously to where you're being taught. And I think that that's also an important thing, that we're not just sending off money to some kind of random organization somewhere. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that later. The second one is that none of us are excluded from this command to give, this instruction to give. Because it says on the first day of every week, each one of you, I want, I want you to take note of this. It says each one of you should set aside something, something to give. And I love that Paul doesn't just give like an arbitrary number. He's like, you just need to set aside $100 to give or something like that. No, he says you should set aside something. And he says, each one of you, this makes no exception, even for those that are struggling, even for those who are poor. In fact, we see the most notable examples of generosity and giving in the scripture coming from those who gave out of their lack rather than their abundance. So you might be here this morning and you'd be like, Pastor Nate, you don't know my financial situation. You don't know that I've got negative 36 cents in my bank account right now. You don't know what I'm facing and what I'm struggling with. And here you are talking about giving when I literally have nothing to give. If that's you, you'd be in good company with the freed Egyptian slaves from Exodus chapter 36. You would be in good company with the widow in the temple in Mark chapter 12. You'd be good company with the Christians from Macedonia that, that kind of uh, make up the, the whole crux of Paul's teaching on giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. All of these were extraordinarily poor, yet they found something to give. Every Christian ought to give since generous giving is a personal response to receiving God's grace in and through Jesus Christ. This is what you'll find to be the main thrust behind uh, the giving argument that Paul makes in his letter in 2 Corinthians found in chapters 8 and 9. No one is to be excluded. And so if you feel like this message doesn't apply to you, that the instruction to the early church was for them and it's not for us today, um, I would want to encourage you to prayerfully take this to the Lord. Don't take this just from, you know, Pastor Nate is up there preaching, he's the pastor, of course he wants people to give kind of a thing. I do believe that it's important for us um, to give intentionally. And so the third thing I want to highlight is giving is to be intentional and planned for. I think a lot of people don't give because they don't plan for it. You see, Paul is calling for thought and intention in regard to giving. He says, put something aside and store it up. Paul doesn't make an emotional plea by offering some kind of heart-wrenching story. He's not putting pictures in front of people. He doesn't appeal to guilt. Uh, he doesn't endorse this kind of sporadic, impulsive type of giving. Uh, instead, Paul calls for a planned thoughtful, intentional gift. And now that's not to say that if your heart isn't moved by some cause or something that you should, shouldn't give because you haven't planned for it, but I'm talking about the consistent act of a giving as a spiritual discipline uh, needs to not just be some emotionally driven response. Yes, make sure your heart's in it, 
but plan accordingly. One of the best messages I ever heard on giving was in Portland, Oregon, where the pastor was rebuking a bunch of like uh, 20-something millennials that were all living in one house and that none of them had jobs because they were kind of living the Portland dream. And it was like, you guys need to have jobs, not just so you can live life, but you need to have money so you have something to give. And you need to be intentional about giving. And it, uh, it was a really good one. But um, I say all this... <laughs> That we need to be intentional and in, in thinking about how we ought to give, not just something that is something that we should plan for, not just wait for the plate to pass by and be like, oh, casually or flippantly, you know, just give how you decide. Man, you know what? Worship was pretty good this morning. Maybe I'll give a little bit more or something like that. That that's not how we should approach the topic of giving. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, be prepared to give. And the last thing I want to say is that giving is to be proportionate. Proportionate to your income, right? As, as he kind of, Paul continues this exhortation, he says, each believer should give as he may prosper, right? So he's talking about in accordance with, uh, with your means, in accordance with how you've been blessed by the Lord, you should give in proportion, And there's a lot I could talk about, about being responsible here, about being good stewards. And just for the sake of time, I I can't go into all that. But I do want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. It says, the apostle in there, you guys don't have to turn that, but we see the apostle Paul, he encourages believers to give according to their means. In other words, each person was to give according to what he or she possessed. People with greater wealth could give more than those that had less. And I do believe that giving should reflect proportionately upon what you make. And so we could talk about tithe, we could talk about uh, all of these different things, but for a very kind of basic approach this morning, I think we should be giving proportionately to what we have. And so when we think about that, when the widow gives gives her two pennies, right, We, we see her giving an exorbitant amount because that was all that she had. You know, and when you, anyway, we could talk about all these different things. But there again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul teaches the importance of having a heart that is ready and willing to give, right? He talks about God loving a cheerful giver later on, but there he says, for it is the readiness, oh my gosh, you think I can't read. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says this, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul does not want believers to give out of a sense of grudging obligation, like what we've already talked about. But he wants us to give in such a manner that is only possible when we understand the gospel and the love of God. Um, in a, wow. I wrote words in my notes that just don't make sense when I read them out loud. Does that make any... No, nobody tracks with that? <laughs> so to recap, just out of this very short passage of Scripture, I believe that we need to practice giving regularly. That's why we take, that's why we take offering every week. It should be something that is consistently a part of the Christian walk. I don't believe that anyone is excluded from the command to give. Um, And I do believe that it's something that we should be intentional about planning for. 
It should be something that we actually think about and that it should be in proportion to what the Lord has blessed us with. Friends, there's so many more things that we could talk about when it comes to giving. There's so many different things that I want to approach and I really sense that uh, there's going to be a sermon series on this soon because there's questions for us to have, but just from a very basic approach, I think that these are things that we can implement and grow in in terms of spiritual disciplines. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.